0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 338. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by producer extraordinaire Matthew Marister. What's going on, man? Hey, dude, glad to have you back on. I think you and I did the episode a week ago. And then Jacob and I did the show on, I guess it was Friday. Yeah, that's when we recorded that. And uh, that was a fun one. So talking about things we've changed our mind about in the last, you know, recent history. Uh, Today's going to be another interesting topic where... I mean, I mean, potentially even controversial for some of our listeners, depending on their their views and thoughts about firearm safety rules. Uh, so today we're talking about how we basically have revised. So we here at ConcealedCarry.com, we've revised the firearm safety rules, the four basic rules as people are normally familiar with uh, in, the, in the classes and in different things that we teach here at com. We had a big, long... Uh, lively debate about those rules, the wording of those rules, and what went into those. And you might be wondering, just hearing this from the start, why change the rules? Well, we'll get into that. But I'll just say that we wanted to bring the rules into line with uh, modern-day curriculum and practices, both on the square range and off of the square range, uh, really in the in, on the streets. So uh, you know, so that's that's kind of the the idea here and the intent. So. We'll get into it, but today's episode is made possible and brought to you by, first of all, two sponsors I mentioned, or two things, Guardian Nation. This is our last call for signups to still qualify for the next gearbox and receive the newly released Range Tech BT Shot Timer in that box. Okay, we're teasing and uh, basically letting everybody know ahead of time. We've never announced ahead of time uh, any of the products that are in upcoming boxes, and we're doing it this time because, number one, it is... product that is actually owned and made by ConcealedGary.com, and uh, and we're really excited about that, but also because we're really hoping to get these in as many hands as possible. So you need to be a qualifying Guardian Nation member. That means either being a member for the preceding three months to the month in which we ship the box. That means for the box that ships in August, because we ship these in February, May, August, and November, You, you need to have been a monthly paying member since May may june july all right and then that would qualify you for august or you can be a quarterly or annually paying member and you can join at those levels anytime prior to the first day of that month that the month that the box ships in okay so prior to august 1st if you are a quarterly or annually paying member you still qualify for that august box all right so make sure you you sign up and join today special link to take advantage of this quarterly or annual sign up or if you are already existing monthly member but you have not quite you don't quite meet that qualification that i mentioned those three preceding months then you can also contact our support team at support at support@concealedcarry.com and ask about how to upgrade okay so that you could qualify for that august box all right so for those of you that are that are interested go to guardian nation excuse me not guardian nation slash shot Timer GN, GN as in Guardian Nation. So concealedcarry.com forward slash shot timer GN. Take advantage of this last call opportunity to make sure you're signed up and you're going to get one of these great Range Tech BT shot timers. Brand new, uh, brand new, newly released product from us here. So super excited about that. And then also just mention that the concealed carry gun tools app uh, always available. For free, uh, free on an, I, Android or iPhone devices. Uh, go to your respective app stores, either the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Search concealed carry gun tools. That'll give it. That'll bring up our app. You should see our logo there. Download the app for free. No ads in it. Nothing that you got to pay to upgrade. All, you know, if you're interested, you can create a free account through the app. If you don't, now. Let me be clear. If you're already if you already have an account on concealedcarry.com, com, then you can use that same login information through the app to to access your account through the app. Um, if you don't have an account, you, then you just create a free account, and what that's going to do is give you. If, access to special features that are in the app such as tracking your permit having it you know give you warnings if it's going to expire you know all that kind of stuff really cool stuff all right plus you can save data you can save uh, firearm records you can save training and, and data and all that kind of stuff too really cool stuff so concealed carry gun tools app go check it out Concealedcarry.com carry.com forward slash mobile app Uh, if you don't want to take the time and go to your respective app stores, that that'll be a link that should open automatically on mobile devices and take you to your respective app store and download the app. All right. Concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app. So Matthew, let's jump into a topic today. Again, revising the four firearm safety rules. Um, you know, if I just came to you, Matthew, uh, as a, as an experienced instructor, um, which you are and said, Hey man, um, so, uh, Jacob and I we just decided to rewrite the rules. Like initially, like what's your thought there? Like, I mean, do you, do you kind of wonder why?
1: Well, I'll answer like kind of two part. Um, one is that I can see why people like or are concerned about changing rules that have been established, right? Because that's like everything I've ever been taught was the four safety rules. But personally, for me, about two years ago, I started kind of adapting those four safety rules or the um, common safety rules that everybody refers to. And, um, and so because I was seeing a need to give them some context. So for me personally, if you would have asked me maybe, you know, 10 years ago when I was in the Marine Corps and everything's structured, I would have been like, no, why are you changing it? You know, it's, it's, it's fine the way it is. But after seeing it in application a little bit more with civilians and, in and, and different things, um, I I saw a need for some context.
0: Mm. I don't cool, know if that cool.
1: answers it not, but
0: yeah, man, no, I I appreciate you and and your your explanation of that. Uh, I would tend to agree, and, and and much for the same reason. You know, uh, I don't know how many years ago it would be necessarily. I mean, probably not honestly all that long ago, because I, I'll be honest, I don't know that I was that I ever really thought terribly deeply about the firearm safety rules. Now we have to realize too that. There are some variations of the rules, right? There's mm-hmm. rules as taught by the NRA. There's rules as taught by uh, various Hunter's Ed organizations or or states. A lot of times uh, states run the Hunter, Hunter's Education programs and and they may have kind of, you know, verbiage, a particular verbiage for the rules. A lot of times those are pretty close in line with how the NRA teaches it, I believe. Uh, at least the states I'm familiar with. Um, you have some training organizations such as like Gunsight that also have rules uh, that are, that may be a little bit of a vari- variation. Um, and so there, there, there are some different variations and I've been to different fire, uh, firearm ranges, gun ranges, uh, in training schools where they had, you know, their own slight variations of rules, but usually they, they all tend to be either pretty similar to how Gunsight does it or NRA. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, so for instance, this this would be this is uh this is found on hunter. or hunter-ed.com. Uh so these kind of like pretty common use uh phrasing for uh the four rules as taught in a lot of hunters ed programs. So number 1, always treat every firearm as though it is loaded, right? We've all heard that. It sounds pretty familiar. 2, always keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction. Three, keep your finger outside the trigger guard until ready to shoot. And four, always be sure of your target and what is in front of it and behind it. Right? I Sounds agree. Pretty, pretty familiar, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and like you said, some, some places change a couple little verbs or words to kind of, you know, put their own spin on it. But those are that's the basic gist of what everybody's probably been taught.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, just to, again, kind of setting the the context and and, and so that everybody kind of, so it's fresh in everyone's minds kind of where we're starting from today. And also, so you can kind of see where we ended up and why we ended up with our own variation of the rules. So, Gunsight teaches these four. Number one, all guns are always loaded. Number two, never let the muzzle cover anything which you are not willing to destroy. Three, keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target, and four, always be sure of your target. And so, it's, again, another uh, phraseology that people have probably heard at some time in some place at some gun range or in some class somewhere, right? Uh, and so, so those are and those are probably the the two most common uh, ways of phrasing it. But again, I did mention NRA, and there is a slight difference from the NRA way, uh, from the the hunters' ed example I gave just a moment ago. So uh, let me just re- let me re- refresh your, your memory on the NRA rules. And really, NRA teaches three rules: mm-hmm. always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction, always keep your finger off the trigger till you're ready to shoot, and four always keep the gun unloaded until ready to use, right? And that one's always been kind of interesting to me, you know, and and, and partly because there's almost like, okay, so what defines ready to use, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so does that mean, because the way I was taught years ago, I remember hearing that rule, always keep the gun unloaded until ready to use include this wouldn't be also inclusive of my NRA, Uh, pistol instructor course you know and I remember kind of like I I think I asked the question I'm like so when you know what what defines ready to use and and basically the the response I remember being given was well you know if you're carrying it on you then it's ready for use but all the times it should be unloaded and I'm like so the gun I have staged in my quick access safe should be unloaded you know and, and that just didn't really jive with me now whether that was that that instructor's interpretation or whether that's a I'll be honest I'm not the, I'm not super indoctrinated into the NRA way of teaching things I am an NRA instructor it's just I've I've always sort of not, I've not marched to that beat very well as an instructor right. uh so you know, I, I do think that there's some clarifications necessary. And actually, that's a good point. I mean, do, do you feel like, Matthew, as we read some of these rules, that some of these rules, like you really have to have additional clarification on as yeah, to what all, exactly they mean?
1: Always. I mean, in, in I never, um, I never, even when I started out, uh, I never could buy into the NRA's verbiage of the safety rules and so, because just like you said, like you say, you know, keep it unloaded until ready to use. And invariably someone's going to say, well, is this ready to use? Is that ready to use? And so all the, all the, the rules needed some sort of clarification because in a, in it of themselves, it's more of almost just like an administrative type thing. It doesn't actually, you, when you actually go to apply them, there's so much gray area. Like um, treat every gun as if it were loaded. We don't go you know, into each one yet, but like treat every gun as if it was loaded, right? Like, what does that actually mean? If I know the gun is unloaded and I'm dry firing, you know, do I have to treat it as, it, do, do I have to imagine that this gun is loaded? Well, if I'm pointing in a safe direction and doing these things, uh, am I treating it as if it were loaded or am I just following the other safety rules? So it's, it, it, it always kind of confused me and, and I, I found that the, the students would be confused as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: hey, I, I agree. You know, and now it's not necessarily a bad thing to provide additional explanation and clarification on what rules or parts of rules mean. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, again, when I read things like this, and there's not a real clear uh, explanation. If you're looking on, at least on the NRA's website, what what does "always keep the gun unloaded until ready to use" mean? This is a little bit of a I mean, this is added below that on their site. If you do not know how to open the action or inspect the chambers, leave the gun alone and get help from someone who does. Like that doesn't, to me, even really sound relevant to the rule that they just you know stated. So, I mean, and that's kind of a you know like a secondary rule or almost like an unspoken rule or unofficial rule. I mean, that's that's something that's not uncommon where I've seen, and I generally believe in this too. You know where. Anytime you hand a gun to someone, it's always, I think, a best practice, at least in a kind of a learning environment, to hand the gun to them, unloaded, action open, you know, that sort of thing. Kind of like when you hand a knife to someone, you should hand it to them, handle first, and not blade first. Um, you know, that kind of sort of, like, almost like a common courtesy sort of thing. I always appreciate, by the way, when I'm at a at a gun store, because I've heard of things happening in gun stores that you know, such as negligent discharges in a gun shop uh, that probably could have been avoided had this practice been followed. And I'm always appreciative of gun store employees that you say, hey, I'd like to have a look at that gun in the case. Yes, sir. And they grab it and they remove the magazine and they pull and lock the slide back and just take a quick peek and yep, unload it. And then they hand it to you grip first. I guess it's a nice little kind of common courtesy sort of thing. Uh, And also then you know that, somebody somewhere, some some goon didn't, you know, accidentally somehow load this thing, even in the gun shop, where I think generally they do a pretty good job, but accidents do happen. Anyway, all right, so we, we just kind of refreshed everyone's minds as to some of the phrasing that is used by, by various organizations uh, with firearm safety rules. Now, we as we look at these and evaluate these, there's definitely some crossover, and you, we could definitely, you know, sense where They're basically saying the same thing in some cases, uh, just with a little bit different verbiage. Uh, In the case of like the gun sight rules, uh, I know a lot of people that really, really like these rules, especially the idea of, you know, not letting your muzzle cover or point at anything you're not willing to destroy. Uh, That's fair, you know, like, okay, so I should, I, I think that explains pretty well. That the idea of a safe direction, make, maintaining a safe direction with my muscle, is well, any direction in which there's not something that I, I, I you know, in a, safe, in a direction where there is not anything I am unwilling to destroy, right? I wanna make sure I get my double negatives and all that correct. Uh, so, and, and I think that's really not a bad explanation at all about what we mean by that. Again, I mean, I, I kind of have to think a little bit and go, well, I really don't wanna put a hole in my floor even in the concrete, or maybe I'm pointing at the floorboard of my vehicle. I'm trying to do, you know, because sometimes that sort of situation comes up. So we got to try to maintain a safe direction, maybe even in environments like a vehicle, for instance. I don't really want to destroy that, but it's a game of what is the it, it's sort of like when we have two really crappy presidential uh, uh, options to choose from, <laughs> choose right. the, the, the lesser evil, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm going to choose the direction as far as my muzzle direction uh, that is the least likely to result in problems for me, either civilly or legally.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, you can even add in um, is upward, is muzzle up a safe direction. I mean, you're not, you know. What I mean, you're not actually right. looking at something that you may destroy. However, you know, the, eventually the gun, the the bullet falls somewhere and it could harm somebody. So it's like, I, I think the problem with the with the safety rules designed the way they were or are, or whatever you know method you look into, um, is that it, it basically it, it gives somebody the the false sense of reading this rule and saying, okay, now. I'll be safe when they really don't understand because there's no context. And then it's like semantics. It's like, well, what's a safe direction Uh, or what, what does it mean to point it in a safe direction? Well, I don't know. I guess down is a safe direction, but potentially that might not be the safest direction. Right. Or so I think, you know, it just kind of sets people up for failure without explanation of the rules because they're written so generically that they can be interpreted a whole bunch of different ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So we as an organization, again, we had this kind of, we had a powwow, you know, and and really it was Jacob, me, and Josh, and probably should have involved Matthew as well. Maybe you weren't available. I don't recall. But, um, you know, we were talking about all these different things and and it really started because it was me. It it, it, usually trouble starts because of me. Uh, So... (laughs) You know, I, I've been thinking on this for quite some time now, oh, well over a year, maybe even a couple of years, just not really um, arriving at a good, solid conclusion personally uh, with with all these things related to these rules. But, uh, you know, just I, I definitely had begun this evolution of I don't quite 100% agree with any one particular wording of firearm safety rules For various reasons, for instance, there are some rules. A good example would be that this common one that always be sure of your target and what is in front of it and behind it, okay. Or, or the the alternative wording that's very similar is always be sure your target and what is beyond uh, is is a common one that's also used and. I think it's implied that we should also therefore be aware of what's in front of my target. I mean, it would be hard for me to be sure of my target if there's something obscuring or in front of it. Right. So, and be sure of the target and what's beyond a very common uh, phraseology. So, you know, that, that one is, that one is very, that rule applies very well in a, on a square range type environment. Right. Yeah. Um, and even to some extent, it almost doesn't even quite apply perfectly well there because, I mean, if we're shooting at a range and we have our target set up and usually immediately beyond that target is a berm, well, we're really not that concerned about what's beyond the target, at least most of us. Um, but but that, that rule applies very well at, on the square range environment and also applies well, generally speaking, in like kind of a hunting context, right? And this is how it was explained to me, you know, there's plenty of instances and I've been in situations where and it's easy to, it's easy to have, you know, how it happens because especially out here hunting in the West sometimes in various environments. And this is true, I'm sure, for sure, even out East where you have a lot tighter tree, you know, coverage, uh, foliage, for instance, uh, where it's harder to see sometimes what's beyond say a, a deer that you're putting in your sights. But I've been in this situation definitely out here in the West where, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting kind of looking at this Valley or down in this draw and, you know, nice little meadow down there. And you know, the deer come out at certain, you know, time in the morning or at evening before dusk and you're waiting. And then next thing you know, you see, Oh, just beyond where I'm looking and just beyond where I'd shoot, there's no orange vest, you know, like, Oh man, like, so I, I've been in situations where, clear, it was clear to me that other hunters did not care that I was basically in line with where they would be shooting. If a a deer or an elk or other animal came out, you know, to where they could make that shot. Uh, and I've always sort of like bit the bull and be like, I guess I'm going to move because I'm not going to have them shooting this direction. And I'm not going to shoot towards them either. If I'm the one that happens to be able to make that first shot. So Anyway, that it just kind of provides some, some context for that. And here's an, here's another one is, you know, a lot of times we talk about uh, keeping the, mo- the muzzle point in a safe direction. And we'll define a safe direction, some especially in a square range environment, as, well, downrange. Hmm. Right? And that certainly applies when we're at a range and... We've got two side berms and a back berm, and the, a, a clearly defined firing line that everybody's shooting from. Well, the safe direction at that moment, at that time, at that range is one, basically one direction, which is downrange. And I've definitely been to ranges where, if you even pointed down or and up, and, and again, arguably, I think up is is a bit of a controversial safe direction. I think it has application. I think there are times where up makes more sense than other directions. Uh, We just have to. There's there's always inherent risk to these different situations we find ourselves in and how we handle our guns. But uh, definitely been in ranges where it's like you got to walk up to the line, set your gun case down with, and you got to know like, well, in my gun case, my gun is pointed this direction, and a range safety officer will come be be there, be right there with you. Dude, I went to this range a number of years ago, and I was like, to me, it was insane how how rigid it was, uh, which I. You know, I, I, hey, their, their, their house, their rules, you know, I'm going to play by their rules. But it just was really inconvenient, you know, to me uh, personally at the time. But anyway, set the case down, you know, and open it up and guns got to be pointed down range at all times, you know, never down, never anything else, right? So, um, again, I th- I could go on about some other examples here, some of the other rules. But uh, let's start transitioning into sort, some of what we came up with, uh, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think it makes sense to just go through these one by one. And, and I'm going to ask you as I read these rules to, um, you know, you have probably less time looking at these and studying them and coming up, with, informing your own thoughts about them and what they mean. So this is actually a good opportunity for me just to ask you what I what you think the intent is behind these rules. The way with that we've come up with these. Uh, and then I'll provide maybe some additional context. So, number one, know the condition of your firearm and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool.
1: Yeah, and this would replace, um, treat all weapons as if they were always loaded, correct?
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, you got yeah. it. So yeah, so and, and, and sorry, real quick. That's actually I'm glad you mentioned that one. Treat all weapons as though they're they're always loaded, which is that first rule. Um, no wait, actually I don't. Did we read any? Oh, it was the gun sight one? All guns are always loaded, and I have seen other variations of rules where they say something similar to that. Right. right. So just real quick on that point, I understand the concept of treat all guns as though they're loaded, right? And and kind of the intent there. But I don't know. Is it wise to say to state something that isn't necessarily always true? I mean, yeah, we could get really into semantics of treat all weapons as though they're always loaded and what that means, mm-hmm. right? But the reality is they're not always loaded, and does that sometimes maybe potentially set us up for failure um, in how we treat a firearm? Because you know, if we if we are taught this idea of treat all weapons as though they're always loaded. But then somewhere in the back of our mind, we know that's not actually always the case. Do you you think some people might have a disconnect there and maybe actually make some mistakes because of that kind of uh, a fallacy? Yeah, I do. I think um, when you say know the condition of your firearm
1: and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool rather than treat them or or basically in a nutshell saying just pretend like a gun is always loaded whether you know it or not, right? And so what do you do when you're dry firing? Yes, we dry fire in a safe direction. We ensure the guns unloaded and everything, but I'm not, I'm treating the gun as if it were a dangerous tool. However, I know that it's not loaded. So, you know, if I weren't understanding, you know, that I understand the condition of my gun, I know it's unloaded, it's been unloaded. I'm pointing in a safe direction. I go to squeeze the trigger when I dry fire, right? I'm not necessarily wanting to put a round through the through my wall or through the desk or whatever it might be. Um, and so, yeah, I think understanding the condition because what if I hand you a gun and it's, it's clearly slide locked to the rear, I hand it to you. Yeah, you're going to treat it like it's a potentially dangerous tool but you're not going to pretend that it's loaded we don't like and i think if we start pretending things that's when we're like oh well it's not loaded i don't really have to worry about that rule because it's not loaded so and so i i think i i do think that understanding the condition of the gun makes much more sense and then it goes into the conversation of a lot of people don't you know, when you say condition of the firearm, they may not even have known that. Right. So now they understand, okay, I have to understand if it's loaded, if it's unloaded, if I don't know that it's unloaded, then I, you know, I treat it as if we're loaded, of course. Um, but I have to understand what the condition is because if it's unloaded, it's unloaded. Now I can take it apart and clean it. Right. I mean, so, um, that makes much more sense.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you see it that way. Uh, that's kind of how we saw it as well is that we felt it was important to state the rule in a way that doesn't um, doesn't really, you know, that doesn't lie about the actual condition of a firearm. You know, that, that like you, I, I actually love how you just said that a second ago about, you know, that you should, not only should you know when it's loaded, but you should also know when it's unloaded and know that, okay, I can take my gun apart now. Now, and I think you understood this and you can even kind of touch on it. It doesn't excuse or mean that we do something unsafe mm-hmm. necessarily with the firearm when, you know, even if we know it's unloaded uh, but I'm also going to say that's not necessarily a hard and fast rule either because there's situations that I'm, you know, I, my my mind is being expanded on on this more and more all the time. I mean, for instance, give you a good example. You know, and I've, and I've talked about this a couple times on the podcast because it's still rel- uh, relatively recent history. But you know, recently I had Dave Spaulding on the podcast, and I took his course here in Colorado, the uh, uh, kinetic combat pistol course, fantastic course. He did something. You know, people talk all the time about some other instructors out there, and, and some of you listening know who, maybe who I'm referring to. That might do certain things uh, with respect to their curriculum or their classes that they teach. So people go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they would do that. That's unsafe. That, that breaks firearm rules, you know, and all this stuff. Right. Um, we did a couple of exercises as we, as Dave was trying to teach us the idea of kinetic combat pistol movement with gunfighting involved, right. Uh, that he would go downrange in front of the firing line and observe from that angle because sometimes there's different angles as an instructor, you can see more of what's important when you are in, you know, when you're not looking at students backs and butts. Mm -hmm. Right. And so let me just explain here day. Now I think anytime I'll be careful with this, but anytime we do something uh, maybe a little bit different than the norm, I, I think it's important that, uh, we mitigate risk wherever possible. So let me get, you know, let me explain. It's not like Dave ever had us go in front of the firing line when we had rounds in gun in chamber ready to fire. Um, but, uh, you know, we we unloaded the firearms and we checked and we had, you know, our neighbor to our left check. I think maybe even we had some, the person on the right check, you know, just confirming empty chamber, empty magazine well, nothing in the gun, Right. And, and then Dave's not standing in line with where people are actually pointing guns, right? He's, he's standing in between target stands, right? So again, mitigating risk, right? So if for some reason there was a mistake made, somebody somehow after having the, you know, checking the gun themselves and having one or at least two other people check the gun also for them and confirm, the condition of the firearm, but he's still standing in between target stands as we did various, you know, movements or uh, whatever. Right. And, and so, you know, I, I, I really appreciated that because he showed how things could be done maybe differently than what people, what some other instructor, I definitely know instructors would be like, no way, no way. I would never touch that. Like, that's ridiculous. That's not safe. That's wow. Like, and, and there, some people are probably listening to this right now and be like, I've never taken a class from Dave Spalding. Like, I, I, I can't respect a man that would do something like that. But here's the thing. Know the condition of your firearm and yet still recognize and treat it with respect and always treat it as the potentially dangerous tool that it is. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, now here's the other piece of this rule. So normally we think of firearm safety rules from the, in the context of we're trying to make sure we don't have some sort of accident or something occur and somebody gets hurt unintentionally. Uh, but let's flip this around a little bit and let's think about this in the self-defense context, Matthew. Don't you think it's also important for you if you carry a gun for your personal or family defense that you should know that it is in fact loaded when you think it is so that when it comes time to rely upon that for defense, it's actually going to function as intended, meaning you're not going to draw a gun or pull a gun out of a quick access vault or something and think that you're ready to go and you press a trigger and get a click instead of a bang. Uh,
1: I mean, I know you've seen it in your classes and I know everybody who's listening has done this at least one time at the range where you draw out your firearm, you present to the target, you squeeze the trigger and realize you haven't chambered around well, you've done everything correctly if your, your idea is to treat every weapon as if it were loaded or as if it was always loaded, right? Like, uh, okay, I'm going to assume it's loaded because I treat all of the weapons as if they were loaded. So it never gives you that, that you know, uh, kind of like checklist to go through and like, okay, let me go through the checklist of making sure I know the condition of my gun. Do I know the condition? I don't know. So let me figure it out. Let me point it in a safe direction do a chamber check if I have to or you know whatever it is but you have to know the condition not just pretend that it's loaded because yeah. it, it, when you need it, it you can't just pretend it's loaded and load it it's got to be loaded
0: yeah you know and what do you say to so usually when this kind of conversation comes up uh, people will say something along the lines of my gun's always loaded mm-hmm. you know it, it's kind of like a why would I need to ever check? Like my gun is just always loaded. I know it is loaded all the time. Like, I mean, <laughs> how do you respond to, to that kind of attitude? Cause I, I, I've come across that and I think that's, uh, what's the word? I think that's ignorant actually.
1: Yeah. I would just say nothing's always, I mean, few things are absolute, right? So you can say my gun's always loaded. That's fine. If you believe that your gun's always loaded, that's fine but it doesn't hurt to confirm that your gun is loaded. Um, It doesn't hurt to confirm that it's unloaded as well, because if your gun's always loaded, that means you've you've never cleared it, you've never dry fired it, you've never done anything except keep it either in the safe or on your, you know, I mean, because even taking the gun off out of your holster, you know, off your body at the end of the day and putting it in a safe requires it to be pointed in maybe a direction that isn't, something that you want to destroy, right? You don't want to destroy your safe. You don't want to destroy your floor. So I I just, when somebody says that, it's kind of like a cop-out answer. Like, um, yeah, I don't have to worry about that because my gun's always loaded. It's like, uh, I I think you should go through it in your mind and and really understand and know the condition of your gun at all times.
0: Yeah. Again, as you alluded to earlier, I've definitely seen people. uh, My favorite is the number of times I have either been a part of or had have administered a law enforcement qualification course of fire and police officers showing up to shoot that qualification run that first stage of that qualification and their first shot, they get a click instead of a bang. Mm -hmm. Depending on the exact course of fire uh, that's, you know, that's being administered, depending on what you know, and, and you know uh, what rule said essentially it's being followed, uh, which things have changed a couple times here in recent history in Colorado. Uh, that could actually mean the difference between you passing and not passing that qual. <laughs> so, I mean, it happens. We're we cops they believe they they know the condition of their firearm that it is in fact loaded and it's not. It happens. All right. So this is not something like, yeah, it's not something I'm making up. Anyway. All right, so the second part of that first rule, by the way, I, want, I just want to point out something there that I think is kind of interesting to, to ponder on a little bit. Uh, and it says, and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool. A couple reasons why we worded it this way. We we wanted to use the word tool because that is what a gun is, is a tool. So to call it what it is. Uh, it is a, a tool intended with, a you know, has a purpose to get a certain job done right? Whether that's shooting a target or shooting a bad guy. And so, and it is potentially dangerous, right? And that begins to set the stage of the correct mindset. All right, I need to know and understand the condition of this firearm and I need to recognize the fact this is in fact potentially dangerous and treat it as such. Uh, What I mean by that is I don't know of anybody that handles a circular saw, and places their hand in front of or on or in the path of the saw blade intentionally, right? At least if they do, they're dumb. It's, just, it's similar to like, you know, Tris here commented, he said, you know, even if my gun's unloaded, I'm not going to look down the barrel and pull a trigger. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's still dumb. Even you know, like there's, there's no reason to look down the barrel even when we know it's unloaded and pull a trigger. That's just dumb. It's still a potentially dangerous tool. But anyway, so it just it begins to set the stage. I think of the mindset that just like we don't handle act, other actual real life tools in unsafe manner or in an unsafe manner, we need to begin thinking of the gun in that way as well.
1: Yeah, Plus, I'll 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 agree, or I'll even add this um, because this this just occurred not too long ago. I. I was talking, uh, wrote an article, um, and basically people's comments were, guns are neither safe nor unsafe by themselves. And I mean, I guess you could argue that. I mean, guns are, they're like, guns aren't dangerous. It's the person who's behind the trigger is dangerous, you know, basically making that argument that like, it's the bad guy's fault not the gun's fault. And I get the under yeah. where they're coming from, but to say that guns are not inherently dangerous tools is is setting yourself up to 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 create a situation where you may be harmed because any reasonable person is going to say, yes, a gun is a is a potentially dangerous tool or we wouldn't even have these safety rules to begin with. It'd be like a pillow. You know, we don't have a dangerous tool, you know, it's not a dangerous tool, so we don't have you know, uh, uh, rules that govern how to use it. But a gun is a potentially dangerous tool. So we can't like turn it off and say, Oh, it's it's not the gun. The guns aren't dangerous. Of course they're dangerous. Mm -hmm. Of course they're so is a saw.
0: So. I don't think anybody pretends as though a gun isn't actually dangerous. Right. But I do think there's times where the brain goes out the window, so to Mm -hmm. speak. Uh, and we, we switch things off. Right. And just like you know what, I've had near misses with various you know I worked in the construction industry for a long time, and I've uh, had near misses with various uh you know tools and different things, and uh, you 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 definitely learn, especially over time, and from experience, like oh, yeah, that was a bad idea. Uh, and you know it's it's best to try to not have to learn all those things necessarily by experience, because sometimes by experience means you accidentally lop off you know a finger or two or three or an arm, or uh, or shoot yourself in the leg, you know, right? All right, let's go to number two. Always be attentive when handling a firearm and know where the muzzle is pointing. Right. Your take on this. So this
1: would be uh, a, a clarification on uh, never point a weapon, at anything you're not uh, willing to destroy or shoot or whatever, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And keep it pointed in a safe
1: direction. Yep. So I, I think I think that that's uh, much better clarification in the fact that, um, like like we talked about before, you may have to point your gun in a in a direction that um, that you don't want to destroy whatever you're pointing the gun at, but in order to clear it or in order to you know holster it or put it on a display case if you're selling guns that it requires the muzzle to be pointing in an unsafe direction. So, or or a potentially a a direction you wouldn't normally point it at, right. Or something that you may um, uh, not want to shoot, right. Like you walk into a gun store and all the muzzles are either pointing, you know, out towards the customer or in towards the clerk. And so neither of those people want to be destroyed, but the, you know, so, um, if you understand the condition of the gun, you know, that it is unloaded, then you can put it in the display case properly. And, and so I think that gives uh, a good context because, you know, be aware of where the muzzle is pointing. It may not be the, the safest direction, um, or maybe the safest out of the bad scenario that you are in, right? Like you don't have a, put a specifically safe direction, maybe down is the safest, but maybe, you know, you if if a round goes off, it deflects and it could harm somebody. So that's not a hundred percent safe. Maybe safer than pointing it at another person, of course, right? So, yeah. I think this gives context to um, where the muzzle should be pointed.
0: Yeah, and let me also provide some additional context as to this kind of first half of this rule: uh, the idea of always be attentive when handling a firearm. All right. So, this was worded this way because we chose to focus on the idea of gun carriers making deliberate effort to be aware of how they are handling the gun how they are treating it and where they are pointing it you'll note that in this rule we didn't we didn't say anything like anything specific as far as what where a safe direction is mm-hmm. or what is a safe direction or you know, something that we're not willing to destroy, for instance, uh, as the gun wording is. It, because it should already be intuitive, all right? Especially when we, again, rule one, set the stage, right? Know the condition of the firearm and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool, meaning we don't want to point it at especially people, right? Especially people. And we do need to have our brains switched on to the idea of, Well, okay, I don't see someone in my immediate vicinity or my environment, but I recognize that this wall is not a bullet stop, right? And there could be or is someone on the other side of that wall. So it should be intuitive that we don't want to point the gun at somebody, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Unless it's somebody that's trying to harm me, right? Now, again, we chose to focus on the idea of always being attentive, uh, being aware of this lethal object that's in your hand, right? And drawing attention to that fact, because this is what I see. And this is where I see the most mistakes that are made with regards to firearm safety, especially as taught under the current rule set. And, and basically in almost every rule set, we have this idea of always point the gun in a safe direction or don't point it at things you don't want to harm or destroy. Right. But yet people still do that. People still violate that rule all the time. Why? What's the reason what's the why behind them? They know the rules they've been taught the rules, but yet they still violate that particular rule happens all the time why
1: yeah they're not being they're not understanding what they're doing with the firearm they're exactly. they're not they're not attentive, like you said.
0: The brain switches off for a moment, yep. they focus on something else, and so the rule is right the idea is here here is to treat the cause, the root cause and not the symptom, right? And the root cause is people forgetting what they're doing or focusing on something else. And so the focus here is focus on the idea, you know, don't forget that you have to be paying attention when you have a gun in your hand. That's really, and that was really critically important to me uh, as we were revising these rules. Was, this, was, was focusing on this root cause idea and not necessarily just the symptom or how to treat the symptom. Yeah, okay? makes sense. And then again, the second piece, piece—you just knowing where the muzzle's pointed. Like, and naturally, if we're paying attention, that should come without saying, but, but it's there because it should be. Right. Rule three, keep your finger out of the trigger guard unless you are on target and prepared to fire.
1: Yeah, I think um, this I can use a really good illustration for. So um, a lot of times when we do defensive pistol shooting, we talk about kinesthetic alignment or um, body alignment, point shooting, all kinds of different terms for it. But basically, um, you are not using your sights uh, to to fire the shot, right? And so what I'll do is I'll stand like, you know, five feet, 10 feet from the target and I'll bring the gun to kind of a compressed position where I'm not looking at my sights, but I know where the muzzle is pointed and it's pointed at the target, right? And I know through my kinesthetic alignment and, and natural point of aim and things that if I squeeze the trigger now, even though I'm not looking over my sights, that I'm going to hit the target. So I'll put my finger on the trigger and say, is this safe? Because, you know, people will be like, well, don't put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Well, they think in their mind, I'm not ready to shoot until I'm at full extension. I've looked through my sights. I got perfect sight alignment and sight picture. And now I put my finger on the trigger and now I start to squeeze. But if we start to think about, well, if I'm ready to shoot in a compressed position and I know where my muzzle is pointed, I might not see the sights, but I know where my muzzle is pointed can't I start to put my finger on the trigger and start to squeeze? Of course, right? It's pointed in a safe direction. It's pointed where I want to shoot. I understand what my target is and I can shoot. But because we kind of get into this doctrinal approach to the firearm safety rules, we think, no, and inevitably people will be like, no, you can't put your finger on the trigger because you're not ready to shoot. Why not? Right. And I ask them and I'll squeeze the trigger and it hits, you know, the target dead center. And they'll be like, Oh, I see. Now I understand that you can put your finger on the trigger before you're at full extension. So I like this, keep your finger out of the trigger guard unless you're on target and prepare to fire because it hits all those elements. Plus, um, I like giving them a, a, a place or a, a, a reason or verbiage that says what to do rather than what not to do. So don't put your finger on the trigger. Mm-hmm people start thinking about trigger. So their finger, it goes to the trigger potentially, right? But if you say, keep it out of the trigger guard, then you know that whole area. Because I've said, you know, keep your finger straight and off the trigger. Okay, well, what does that mean? Where do I put it? Um, I keep it outside of the trigger guard. I've seen people say, well, I just rested along the side. It's, it's not on the trigger, right? Well, okay, we can get into semantics about on or alongside, but... There, there is an argument to be made that, that the rule is somewhat confusing. So if you say, keep it out of the trigger guard, everybody understands. Um, I would just even add like maybe along the frame or, uh, uh, you know, outside of the trigger guard, along the frame or on the frame of the gun um, yes. or slide of the gun. That way people know, okay, this is where my finger should be. And, and it helps to, you know, kind of hammer that home.
0: Yeah. We did have some measure of debate on this particular, on the wording on this uh, rule because, again, you recognize that that we are using positive statements here Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to negative ones. And uh, I do think that's important as well. But, you know, there was this part of me that wanted to say something like, you know, keep the finger on the frame of the gun, you know. Um, And we, we went back and forth and over a variety of variations of this rule. Uh, in the end they settled on keep your finger out of the trigger guard um and i certainly when when teaching hey you know this is where it's preferred to keep your finger uh up on the frame ideally i don't like seeing it resting on the trigger guard uh i have some reasons for that and due to time today as i'm looking at the <laughs> clock i won't you know go down that that uh, i won't get distracted by that right now but uh but really you know we it just came down to and the word you know this rule this is the least changed rule that we have in our rule set of four. Uh, It's very similar to everything else. Right. And so there's two, two components here that I'll just point out again, keeping your finger out of the trigger guard, unless you have on target. Right. Uh, And I I think that just makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Every shot we fire needs to be a deliberate decision. Right. The decision is made when we recognize we have a target, right? Whether it's a paper target or it's a bad guy target, and we make the decision whether we need to shoot that target. And that decision can be made any time, right? When we are in really close quarters and we know that somebody's trying to hurt me bad right now, right the second, I don't have to fully get everything. Like you'll note that we didn't say. Sights are on target or that you are aiming for instance, but that you are on target, right? And the reason for that was because I may not have the perfect sight picture I may not need a perfect sight picture because of the distance or the circumstances that I'm shooting under It's that I am on target generally with the gun. I know I'm there. I've made the decision to shoot And and thus I can do so because it doesn't need to be a deliberate decided You know choice to uh, pull that trigger and then prepared to fire and that's you know that's also uh, indicating what I'm kind of explaining here right so you have made that decision you are prepared to do so you are on target and then the finger goes on the trigger and we follow through with that decision now we can't and there's also there's times too that you'll note here that it doesn't say that we have to follow through with that shot right so there's right. times where it's appropriate to put the finger on the trigger because we we maybe gotten to that point where we decide decided we may have to shoot and we are on an identified target, but uh, maybe we decide for whatever reason, we have to recognize the fact that I might have drawn my gun out. Bad guy may have instantly gone, oh, wow, he's drawing his gun. I see he has a gun. He's going to shoot me. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. And before you get a shot off, they, they decide to to now comply or to get the heck out of there. And so we need to be recognized. We need to be. We need to recognize that there's all kinds of different ways this could play out. So the best way we could think to word this was to again keep your finger out, of trigger guard, until you are on target and you are prepared to fire. Yeah. Not that you have to fire, not that you're going to fire, but that you're you're prepared to do so. I like it. Fourth rule, final one. And again, this one's similar, right, to other uh, variations of firearm safety rules. And uh, we'll explain this a little bit deeper, of course, but uh, as to the the thought process behind it. But here we go. Four, identify your target, all surroundings, and be prepared for changes.
1: Yeah, I I think... And I think the reg, the common verbiage is like, be sure of your target or be aware of your target or identify your target some, sometimes, which is better um, because be sure of your target. I mean, that a lot of people might not understand what that means. Identify, people know. Um, if you identify your target, um, what does that mean? Well, that means I'm not going to shoot at a noise in the middle of the night and accidentally shoot my, you know, my loved one who's come in you know, unexpectedly in the house or whatever, um, it means I'm going to identify and make sure that this is a legitimate, either legal, morally uh, justifiable shoot, right? Like, am I am I legally, and morally justified? And I, uh, you know, is it tactically wise? And, and so I've identified my target, right? Um, I like all surroundings and be prepared for changes because while. The other rule says, be aware of what's behind your target. You also have to be aware of what's around your target, right? Like somebody might run in your line of fire. Um, You may be, you know, shooting um, in a Walmart and there's a bunch of people and if they see an exit and it's on the other side and they have to run through your line of fire to get there, their mind probably isn't going to be, Oh, I'm going to run in front of this guy shooting. They're going to see the exit and just book it. And that might bring them right in front of your, your line of fire. Um, so it, it takes in the surroundings um, and be prepared for changes because you know, you're constantly assessing, are my shots having impact on this person? Um, and you know, it, Am I potentially, as this dynamic event is moving and, and, and we're moving, am I potentially changing my backdrop and, and now, you know, there's a bunch of people there or do we- so it, it constantly changes, um, on the range, probably not much, right. Cause your backstop's always your backstop. There's not people running around for the most part. I've seen videos, of course, of guys running in front of each other and shooting, but like for the most part on the range, you know, you don't have to worry about what's to the side. Um, But I think this addresses a real life understanding of how do I use my gun in a real life situation out in the real world where things change and and, um, the potential of of dangers actually more real than, you know, on the range. So I I really like um, the way you guys uh, put in all surroundings and prepared for changes.
0: Yeah. So. This is, uh, and you explained it very well, by the way. Um, I was actually just reading this morning on Facebook. There's a post by John Korea. People, people should be familiar with John, obviously, from Active Self Protection. And he was actually talking about this specific rule. You know, as not how we've necessarily worded it, but again, the the intent behind it is uh, pretty much you know the similar, the same, and that's kind of what he was addressing and uh, talking about. Essentially, the idea of uh, you know, being aware of your target, what lies beyond it, what is around it, etc. <clears throat> and he basically stated, you know, it's it's he believes it's physiologically impossible to to actually be aware of all of these things in a deadly force encounter uh, because of physiologically what's going on in your body with re- regards to to your 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 adrenaline, your heart rate, your blood pressure. uh tunnel vision, et cetera, et cetera, you know, all these things, right? Your foveal vision prohibits you from being able to see as much as you normally would see, to see things well in the periphery. Um, and, and he makes a good point that those that try to look around see all this stuff sometimes experience uh, saccades, which is your eyes like moving very rapidly from various fix, fixation points. And not moving smoothly at all. That is true. That is, there's documented instances that sort of thing happening. So, um, but here's the thing. And, and John, you know, so I'm, I'm almost saying like this rule, as we wrote it, doesn't make sense. Um, but uh, and maybe we maybe we we'll revise this. You never know. Things are always up for revision and debate, right? But uh, but here's the thing. And let me kind of write read read to you something that I wrote as I was talking about this rule. Uh, I said this essentially. Uh, If there is, actually, I'll I'll read this whole thing. All right. So this one is really important. Talking about this rule. Let's not brush over it just because it's last. You should never shoot a target you cannot identify. That's for sure. And you should not shoot when doing so in the current environment would place innocent life at risk. So you either need to wait for the environment to change or you might need to change your environment this means perhaps moving to a different position changing the angle of fire such as even dropping a knee sometimes will change your angle of fire in such a way that can you know alleviate some of our concerns here or removing the innocent person or individual from the area before you can engage for instance if you have a child or somebody you know uh, you may need to focus on getting them to, to place of safety before you you engage such as like in an active shooter situation If there is no other choice, however, and delay or hesitation only increases the danger and likelihood of failure, then you may need to weigh that with the potential downsides, especially if you miss your intended target. And so, in summary, don't miss, right? So really, I mean, where possible, we want to try to be at least be aware of, well, we always need to identify our target. Right, we don't shoot things we can't see or know know what they are. Uh, We need to, where possible, at least be aware of what's in our environment, what the surroundings entail, and be prepared to and recognize the fact that that environment sometimes can change. Mm -hmm. Um, If by chance we do notice an innocent person coming into the line of fire, uh, we we need try to be aware of that if possible and not shoot, obviously. But the big key here is. Identify your target and only take shots you know you can make because we don't want to miss. The consequences of missing are really high. So that's really what's important about this rule. So that is, I mean, I'm happy to, to you know get any further response from you, but that's the four rules. Let me just review these really quick again. Uh, number one, know the condition of your firearm and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool. Number two, always be attentive when handling a firearm and know where the muzzle is pointing. Number three, keep your finger out of the trigger guard unless you are on target and prepared to fire. Number four, identify your target, all surroundings, and be prepared for changes. And again, I'm, I'm almost inclined to just, let's revise that and say, identify your target and don't miss. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what what do you think as a whole now, uh, Matthew? Looking at the rules, uh, what do you think about these these four rules as we have just described them?
1: Yeah, and I know I know there's probably some people that will listen and be like, you know, why are you changing it if it's broke? Don't fix it. You know, they're they're all fine. This is what we we've known for all you know for the longest, and this how I was raised, and I raised my kids, and we've never had any problems. And I get it, Um, but I think as um, we start teaching you know the self-defense or defensive handgun community or people start growing more concealed carriers more people taking defensive uh, firearms classes where some of those square range things do just don't work um i think we have to adapt and and Update certain doctrinal things that, um, because if it, that is one way that you can become complacent, is if something is the same as it's always been, and I've done it that way just because, um, without really understanding why, or some things change, but you don't change because you're so stuck in a specific way of doing something. And, um, I think that's where we sometimes become complacent. Um, you know, I've, I, when we do the, Uh, safety brief people are like, oh, I've heard it a million times. Okay, well, I get it. Does that mean that you're not going to think about it? You know what I mean? Because you've heard it a million times, I don't want to hear it again. Well, maybe if you hear it in context or you understand a little and that's kind of what this does, maybe then it'll start clicking in your head instead of, yeah, I've heard this a million times. I've seen it on every NRE poster, you know?
0: Yep. And I'm sure there are some that would look at everything we've discussed today and be like, well, what gives you guys the right to, you know, rewrite the rules and all this stuff and I I would say a couple of responses to that number one I don't know that anything gives us the right either way or not Uh, number two just by nature of the fact that there are already a number of versions of firearm safety rules that exist well then you know we should be able to also uh, write our own version of the rules and uh, after all we are concealedcarry.com so we are (laughs) the world's foremost authorities on concealed carry right (laughs) So um, here, one last, a couple last thoughts, I think, that are also important contextually, uh, Matthew. Um, and actually, uh, this was kind of brought – I mean, I've thought about this before. This is something I would intend to talk about, but uh, Casey actually reminded me of this uh, aspect. She made some comment here on Facebook about – you know, the, she feels like one of the reasons the rules are written the way they are, at least you know, from some of these organiza- organizations in particular – uh, and especially if you look at like a lot of the Hunter's education rules and the NRA rules, they are very simple and they are quite brief. And where possible, we we wrote, I mean, you have to understand we went through a lot of revisions to try to make our rules as concise and brief as possible. Um, and again, just for the context, words are important. Uh, and, and so where possible, we did everything we could to write things in a way that explained as much as is needed to be explained and that the words mean what they what they mean, that the meaning is important and that it's as concise as possible. But I recognize that some of the things we're we're stating here in these rules in the concealedcarry.com for safety rules, this is, stu- you know, so there's some phrasing here and some rules that are kind of above the, the, the heads of some children, right? And, and so this is important even with no matter what rule set you choose to abide by, I think it's important to recognize that we always have to and should adapt things to be age appropriate, right? My youngest children, you know, my two and three year olds, as as I've had, you know, kids uh, in those age uh, ranges, I don't teach them even the NRA rules or the Hunter's Ed rules, even though they're already quite simple. The rules for those kids are number one, If you find a gun, you don't touch it. You come and find mom or dad, right? And that's basically like, that's the rule. And then beyond that, you know, as they, because I do get them started quite young, as they begin handling a farm, then we just talk very simply, right? Okay. You're, you're holding this gun. Where do you point it? Where do you keep it pointed? Somewhere safe, dad. Yep. You got it. And we don't put the finger on the trigger until you are aiming the gun and you're shooting it, right? Yeah, got it, Dad. You know, like that's that's we have to keep it really simple. And so for my kids, it's all about. I'm not even really talking to them, and so much about treat all firearms as though they're loaded. It's number one. You don't touch a gun without mom or dad around. And if you find one, because this could be at someone else's house, it could be at a family member's house, it could be at a friend's house, whatever. You don't even go like the rule is don't go find an adult. Okay. Unless they're like, I don't know. The rule is you come and find mom and dad. That's, that's really pretty much how we teach it. Um, you could argue with me on some, some, some uh, semantics and details there, but that's basically how it starts. You find a gun, you find mom and dad. Number two, you keep it pointing in a safe direction, right? Point in a safe direction. Three, finger off trigger unless you're shooting it, right? And, and so you got to adapt and, and teach the rules as you feel is appropriate for your children and for your various circumstances. All right. And as children even get older, like when they're five, six, seven, eight years old, you may still not quite teach it a certain way. You're still keeping things fairly basic and easy to remember, but you know, it's all an evolution that I think is completely appropriate to adjust as is situationally appropriate for you, for your household, for your family, for your kids, whatever. All right. So, but as we teach it now, in our curriculum, particularly here at concealed carry.com, the rules as we've taught here today on this program, that's, that's the rule set. Now the concealed carry.com four rules of firearm safety.
1: Last thoughts, Matthew. No, I I, I would just reiterate, like you said, you, you, you have to teach to the level of understanding of who you're teaching to. So of course, yeah, um, you'd have to uh, explain it differently for children and some some things add in more rules right or if they're a certain age and things to make sure that they're understanding what you're saying because even you know um, point the gun in a safe direction well if you tell that to a child you you must give them context to that right like what is a safe
0: direction so um, yeah so I totally agree with you guys Thanks, bro. Yeah, actually, just a quick response. Uh, Craig is commenting. He says, "Honest impression. Rules are too wordy." I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to these rules that we've talked about today. I think you will lose people. I like the concepts, but streamline. Just my two set, two cents. Uh, that's fair, Craig. And I just wanted you to know. I was actually going to type out the response here, but uh, since we're still on the air, I'll just I'll just say it. Uh, we debated these a lot, and we went through revision after revision after revision of. Bunch of different variations, Um, and uh, you know, because and a lot of that was trying to get them as concise as possible. And in some cases, where we made things more concise, we lost what we felt were important elements from what's trying to be communicated. Uh, And again, the meanings of words are important, I really believe that. I'm not always the, the most eloquent of speakers. And I don't always say exactly what I mean as well as I'd like to, but where we're going to create a, a set of rules like this, we really want you know put a lot of thought into the words in those rules and the meaning for you know the meaning behind them. And so, uh, so I appreciate you know your thoughts on that, Craig. And, and really, I mean, as we evaluated these, they're not really any longer than say like the gun sight. Uh, rules you know, that we shared earlier. Uh, they're, they're very similar in length, actually, that they are longer in number of words than the NRA rules and the Hunter, Hunter's Education rules that we shared. Um, they are less wordy than some of the post or peace officer standards and training rules that I'm familiar with uh, that are used in a number of states, uh, you know, law enforcement training academies. And again, so I, again, I think it's appropriate to go ahead and say that as what I was saying a minute ago about, about kids and children and stuff, um, that, uh, th- these are not necessarily meant to be rules on the same level, um, as like the NRA rules, uh, meaning that I, I would definitely think of these as being, this is what we will teach in our classes, all, all classes going forward, uh, and uh this is a different uh clientele, right? It's not the general public. And we'll put these rules out for sure, you know, to share. But uh but but the, the, the intended audience is not necessarily the general public per se. It's really you come to our class, um, or if you choose to adopt these, I mean, this is more a little more advanced. I don't know how else to say it. Kind of like some rules that that law enforcement agencies and And the training academies use are a little bit more, you know, advanced as far as again. There's there's more more semantics to them, and there's a reason for that because again, words are in fact important. Um, I don't know. I hope that's fair enough as a response, Craig. And and uh, yeah, so that's it. That's what we got here. And I'd like to hear from listeners whether you agree disagree uh, whatever your thoughts are about these four rules as we've taught them here today so feel free to hit us up on Facebook send us an email at podcast at concealed com. Uh, however you choose to do so we'd love to hear from you hear your thoughts on this and uh, there's actually a great article that Josh Gillum our managing editor wrote on our site uh, a couple days ago and you're welcome to go check out that article and leave your comments there as well all right So with that, it's uh, now kind of towards the end of the program, but we do need to announce this week's winner of the giveaway, all right, for the survival paracord bracelet with Fire Starter. And so we had, again, not that many entrants, so the chances of winning pretty good this week. Uh, Make sure you're signing up each week. You can do so at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And uh, share with your family and friends, and uh, any, any of those that sign up, you will also be credited with additional entries. So that's always cool too. So I would play the machine gun drum roll, but because I am still not operating on my usual podcast setup, I don't have that soundtrack available, but uh, Matthew's gonna give us a drum roll right now, please. The winner is Eric J. Eric J. Last name starts with J as in James, but it's not James. Eric J. Eric will email you and let you know you are the winner. You'll have 72 hours to respond. And uh, yeah, so congrats, Eric. And congrats to everyone else that uh, didn't necessarily win, but is still a winner because you participated in some way. So it is time now to let you all go. Matthew, thanks for being here with me today and doing the podcast, buddy. Yeah,
1: thanks for inviting me. Really cool uh, topic.
0: Yep. Folks, don't forget to uh, download the Concealed concealed Carry Gun Tools app. A lot of great resources in the app. Don't forget to sign up for Guardian Nation if you care enough to get special access to great training videos and content in our members-only area, access to our Facebook group that is also only for members, Uh, or to qualify for the next box. You've got a little less than two days to get signed up uh, at the quarterly or annual level if you're not already a qualifying member, all right? You can do that at forward slash shot timer G-N. concealedcarry.com forward slash shot timer G-N. So with that, we're going to sign on out of here. Everybody be safe. Take care. Matthew, you too, especially. You too, sir. And so with that reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.